Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to continue our study through the book of Joshua. You're going to need to be in Joshua chapter 8, as well as Galatians chapter 3. Once again, that is Joshua chapter 8. We'll pick it up where Pastor Jeff left off last week, and we'll be in, as well, Galatians chapter 3. Um, While you're turning there, you can't help but avoid what's happening in our world. And whether it's every time you fill up your gas tank presently, we are constantly reminded that Europe is at war, uh, Ukraine with Russia. And as a church, people often say in the midst of crisis, well, the least I'll do is pray for you when that's actually the most that you can do for someone. And so as a church, we are going to be united in prayer, and we are starting a prayer initiative for Ukraine. And you're going to see us uh, uh, on the screen behind me a phone number that if you text PRAY to this number, you're going to receive a daily text reminder at 1215 starting this coming Monday to join us for 10 days of prayer. Now, If you're going, wait a second, I'm not phone savvy, that's okay. You can pray along with us too. You don't need to know how to do the whole phone thing to be able to know how to pray. All you have to do is talk to the living God. So we've provided for you as well something that you can put on your fridge, something that you can put in your Bible, something that you see every single day so that you can be reminded to pray for peace in Ukraine. On the back of this card... Uh, are going to be our 10 days where we as a church are going to be gathering together. Now, people call and say, where's the church? We tell them we don't know. They're all over LA. Um, So we're not going to gather here. We're going to gather as a church spiritually at 1215 every day for 10 days in order to pray for peace in Ukraine. And so if you'd like to participate with that, Um, please make sure you pick one of these up on the lobby on the way out and join us starting this Monday. So someone asked, well, do I only start praying for Ukraine on Monday? No. You can pray for Ukraine right now. You can pray for peace uh, right now. But we as a church are going to be collectively coming together to pray together with this prayer initiative. I want to let you know as well that we have been reaching out to ministry partners in that region of the world and have developed a plan um, that Pastor Jeff will be communicating this Sunday in order for our church to be a blessing to the people who are suffering in that region of the world. And so would you keep us in prayer as we purpose to minister not only here in South Bay, but around the world. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer once again as we prepare our hearts for his word. Father, we love you so dearly. It's why we've gathered. It's why we're here. It's the purpose. Because, Lord, we want to live according to your word. And so would you allow us today to know from you, to hear from you, Spirit speak. And I know oftentimes 
that when I'm sitting in a service, sometimes my mind can wander. Sometimes I know the enemy can just sing a little lullaby and cause my eyes to get heavy. But Lord, with such an important topic as rising from failure, with failure being such a commonality amongst every human being, we're thankful for this area of Scripture and pray that you keep us spiritually alert so that we might know ourselves how to rise out of failure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, who's made a mistake? Who has messed up today? Like you did, to, like you, you had a failure today. Anyone? Okay. Uh, none of the, all the husbands just looked at their wives. I'm not raising my hand. This week, you had a failure this week. Like, you did something, it's like, oh, great, the Spirit watched me do that, right? All right, okay, let's go. How many had a failure this year? Like, you started with a real desire for, um, for a real desire with, uh, what do you call them, the New Year's resolutions, and you've already failed in your New Year's resolutions. Anyone? I have a confession. I ate chocolate. I did. I know. Thank you. God bless you. I agree with you. I thought to myself, what am I suffering myself for? So I, <laughs> my last Sunday at Coast Hills was this past Sunday. And so at the end of it, I was so emotional one way and the other, excited about being here, sad about leaving there. I looked at my son and I said, if you drink a Coke, I'll eat chocolate. He goes, no problem, Dad. Do I still get the money for the bet? <laughs> Failure! Failure. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. You don't need to turn there. You'll see it on the screen. For whatever things were written before, so books like Joshua, whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. When we begin to see that humanity is human, especially in the lives of people like Joshua, we begin to realize that they were as much a part of this thing called humanity as we are, and we get to learn some lessons from their lives, whether successes or failures. Failure? Well, we got to watch 40 years of failure of the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. Wandering. I don't want you to think that you will not see them in heaven. But they never really did any great spiritual feat for God. They made it to heaven as one escaping the flames. They lacked faith. They were disobedient. And all they did, their whole spiritual existence and life, was wander. I, I want to learn from that. I don't want to be a wanderer. I want to know where I'm going. I want to set my face as a flint. Well, I can learn from their failure. I can also learn from the success of the children of Israel. It's Joshua. And there he is, we saw in the very beginning of this book, crossing the Jordan into the promised land. Now, I don't want you to think that Joshua is about going to heaven, because there's no sin in heaven, and Achan sinned. So Joshua is not about what heaven is going to be, it's about the promises that God has for us as we cross the Jordan, we move from darkness to light, and we are able to be baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit to fight our spiritual battles. Amen? Jericho. It's the first battle. As I read that story, I learn as a believer 
that I can bring down spiritual strongholds in my life if I depend on God and I do it his way. Even when I don't agree with it, like marching around a a wall seven days in a row and then just simply shouting and trusting God, I learned something from Joshua. I can bring down my spiritual strongholds. What a success. I learned as we studied through uh, uh, the next battle of Joshua with going to I, I learned through a failure. You see, I learned I better do it God's way. Because things don't go great if I don't do it the way that God wants me to do it. And God said, the first fruit of the land belongs to me. But Achan couldn't wait. And when he went into Jericho, he took a Babylonian pair of jeans and a nice good shirt. And he couldn't even wear it in Jerusalem because everyone would know that Achan was the sinner. I learned a very valuable lesson looking at the life of Achan. But out of this failure, Joshua is going to arise. Oh, not because of anything that Joshua has done, simply because it's the heart of God. Would you look at Joshua chapter 8, verse 1, as we just simply do a brief review. Now the Lord said to Joshua, you have to stop there for a minute. God is speaking to the man who failed. It's important that you recognize that for just a moment. Because all of us will have failure in our life. And what the enemy wants to do is say to us, oh, God will never use you again. He can't believe that you did that. Can I say something to you? God is omniscient. You can't disappoint God. He knows everything. He even knows when you're going to fail. He doesn't go in heaven. Oh, my goodness. What did Chet do? I can't believe I didn't see that one. Now the Lord said to Joshua, don't be afraid, nor be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you. Arise, go up to Ai. Joshua, it's time for you to rise up out of this failure. And I think we can all agree that we know what failure is. I know what failure is. I'm a young man, and I'm taking my wife and my children off to the mission field, I'd come home on a furlough, and I was deciding whether or not I was going to go back on the mission field. And everybody was telling me, go, 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 except for one faithful woman looked at me and said, Chet, be careful that God is not answering you according to your idols. Well, I'm not going to listen to that negativity. And off I was to Liberia because I didn't care what she said. I am on my way. But Liberia was an idol for me. It was the only place that I thought that God could use me. It was the only place that I thought that I could be fan the flame of my gifts. It was the place that I was holding on to because, well, maybe there was a name now recognized to it and a reputation that was connected to it. And then I got malaria. And my wife got malaria and she got pleurisy. My precious wife dropped down to almost 80, about 88 pounds. And I looked at her and I said, it's time for you to get home. She got on an airplane. And while she was on that plane, she started coughing up blood. 
She got home and she was nursing our one-year-old child. She arrived in New York. She was so sick from pleurisy, her mother flew to New York to meet her and she had to stop nursing our child. They flew down to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and immediately from the airport, they took our one-year-old, little Elia, to the hospital, and she was in the, uh, she was in the ICU for infants. I got a phone call from Andrea saying, you need to come home. But I was stuck in Liberia now after this experience, and there was no way for me to get home. She goes, you need to get home. Your daughter's not going to make it. By the grace of God, me and the four boys, we were able to hop on an airplane and make our way home. Somewhere over the Atlantic Ocean, on an airplane that doesn't exist anymore called Air Afrique, because they used to let chickens and goats run through the aisle. Trust me, it was a freak of an airline, okay? I went into the bathroom. I looked into the mirror, and the first thing that I heard from the Lord was, I will answer you according to your idols. And I began to beg the Lord there in that bathroom in fetal position, please forgive me. Do not take the life of my sweet one-year-old daughter. You see, because it was only a month before that my five-year-old daughter had gotten malaria. And I held her in my hands, my wife and I. We were there in Liberia thinking we were there to serve the Lord, not knowing we were there for ourselves. And while I held her in my hand at five years old, she had such high malaria, she did the death gurgle. And there she literally died in our hands. And I screamed out to God, you brought us here to kill my daughter. And my wife screamed out to God, please give us our daughter back. Now, my wife is the prayer warrior of our family. And what seemed like an eternity, my five-year-old daughter <gasps> took a gasp of breath and the Lord gave her back to us. But now, a month later, I'm flying home not knowing if I'm going to my one-year-old daughter who I don't know whether she's alive or whether she's dead. And I'm pleading with God, sorry, please forgive me that I came to this place on my own initiative. I didn't seek you. I just did what I wanted to do. And I should have listened to your word for my life that you're answering me according to my idols. And I wept almost an hour in that plane. When I arrived in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, my wife came running to me, and there in her arms was my one-year-old daughter who the Lord had resurrected from the dead, and she was out of the ICU. The elders of the church went to her and laid hands on her in ICU, anointed her with oil, and God supernaturally healed her. I almost killed my whole family because of my pride and my arrogance. I took them to a war-torn country for the third time when God had told me no. I thought that was the only place that I could go, and I almost lost my family. And by the grace of God, I stand before you today. Let me explain. 
I understand when God shows up to Joshua and says, do not be afraid, because do you know what it was as a pastor to stand at a pulpit again after such failure? Do you know what it was again for God to speak to me and say, arise out of this failure and go fight this battle? Do you know how incredible it was for me that God had not given up on me despite my failure? Of course you know, because you failed as well. You understand the grace of God just like me. And this is why this chapter is so important for us to learn that God is the God of second chances. Just read the book of Jonah. He wrote his own book and made himself look like a fool. He realizes that God is the God of second chances. He realized that we can truly begin again with the Lord no matter how deep our failure is. Corey Timboom would say, there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. We can begin again. And in our weakness of failure, he even promised Paul in the weakness he can be strong. And what we're going to see in the midst of this story is how in the midst of that weakness, God is going to come in with strength. And we're going to learn some incredible lessons from Joshua. You see, they were defeated at Ai, but they were not abandoned by God. Many men had lost their lives as Israel fled from a little small 12,000 group of people. That's it. And they fled from them because they didn't go to God. They didn't ask God, much like me when I was on my way to Liberia, because that's just what I do. But Joshua, we saw what happened. He was convicted. He knew something was wrong. You know what I'm talking about. You know when you're convicted. You know when you've done something wrong. And I want to show you an equation on the screen so that maybe you can understand exactly what Joshua was walking through. There was conviction. And with that conviction, he then went to Achan and he said, Son, tell me what you've done. And then there was confession. But the problem is, is that Achan, he didn't confess. He just simply admitted He was caught. And so we can learn that if there's really true confession with contrition, where we feel sorry, we're we're angry that we even went that direction. We're doing anything we can like Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus to make it right. You see, with conviction and confession and contrition, we as well can conquest. We can rise up out of failure. We can have victory. Victory because of our faith. Look at the screen, if you would, at 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible actually accommodates for failure. 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, including the book of Joshua. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. That word is teaching. So we get to learn it. It's profitable for reproof. That means tell us when we're wrong. Convict us. It's profitable for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Let me explain what this verse is saying. The Bible can teach us the right way to go. But when we go the wrong way, in other words, there's an expectation that one day we might. When we go the wrong way, the Bible will also 
tell us we're wrong. You should have done this. You should not have done this. The Bible is very clear on what is right and what is wrong. The Father heart of God desires passionately to grant us his good, pleasing, perfect will, but sometimes we don't choose it. But the Father heart of God, he then corrects us. Now, this is an incredible word. This word correction is as if I'm falling but someone grabs me before I completely fall and corrects my position. So instead of dropping on the ground, God actually catches me with his word and comforts me and gives me hope, and he puts me in the right standing position. And then the word of God is useful for training. In other words, I've realized a weakness in my life, and so now I've got to put some things into practice so I never go that way again. God uses failure for his glory when we repent. That's why the Bible says, though a righteous man falls down seven times, he gets back up again. It's Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. Though a righteous man falls down again... Raise your hand if you have fallen down in faith before. Raise your hand if you've fallen down in faith before. Do you see how common and how the Bible accommodates for us to get back up again? And what this story is going to do, as Joshua rises out of this failure, Joshua's story is going to teach us three incredible truths for us to rise out of our failure. Let's pick it up the story in Joshua chapter 8, verse 18. Joshua chapter 8, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward I, for I will give it into your hand And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city. Just imagine Joshua. He's going like this. God said do it, and he's just putting his spear up like this, and he's just holding it up like this. God told me to do it. I'm going to do it. I've learned my lesson. I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do. Listen carefully. I want you to write it down. Follow the word like Joshua. If you want to rise up out of failure, follow the word. Not your feelings, not the world. Don't call Oprah. Follow the word. Follow the word. Listen to what Jesus said. He made a very powerful statement. The powerful statement is this. Follow me and I will make you. Follow me and I will make you. Now, let me tell you what that meant. It was a willingness of Peter, though he failed all night and didn't catch a fish. It was the willing of Peter, the willingness of Peter to do what Jesus said when he said, cast your net on the other side. Uh, Jesus, you are from Nazareth, nowhere near water. I have been on this ocean, this sea, not ocean, this sea for a long time. So you want me to do what? No, he said, nevertheless, at your word, he was willing. And out of his all-night failure, he caught so much fish because he followed the way. It's the courage of Peter. If anyone knows how to rise out of failure, it's Peter. It's the courage of Peter to walk out into the water. And then as he's drowning, to actually reach out his hand. He's in the midst of failure. He calls on Jesus. And the book of Mark says, immediately, Jesus grabbed his hand. Jesus wants us to rise out of failure. It's the, listen, if I was Jesus, 
Jesus looks at the 12 disciples and he says to them, you feed them. Well, what do we got? All we got is five loaves and two fish. You are standing in front of the living God and you don't think he can do something. How We do the same thing with our rent. God, how are we going to pay this? You will not provide for me this month. I know you won't. You, I know I'm going to go hungry. I know I'm going to get kicked out. I know everything bad is going to happen. We do this to the Lord all the time. But what did he do? He then used the very disciples who didn't even believe him. He used in their failure to teach them a lesson, to rise them up out of their failure, to make them the disciples he was calling them to be. You see, no matter what he leads us in, it's so important that we follow him. Well, Joshua, he was asked to hold out his spear. Now, if I'm the enemy and I see this guy just standing in the battlefield, just holding out a spear like this, he's got one arm to fight. If I'm your enemy, guess who I'm going to charge? The guy who looks like a big old dummy in the middle of the field holding up a spear. He's only fighting with one hand. Here I am. Come slay me. But Joshua ain't moving. He's got this spear up in his hand because he's going to follow the way of God. He's learned his lesson from Jericho, looking at Achan's life. I am going to do whatever it is that God has asked me to do. And I wonder if Joshua remembered that as Moses lifted up his hands, that Joshua would win the battle down below. But if Moses put his hands down, Joshua would be losing the battle. But if Moses lifted his hands, I wonder if Moses had some enemies. Like if he had some enemies amongst the Jews and he saw like one of the, the enemy coming, he's like, <laughs> got him. Oh, don't like him either. Oh, great. Okay. Oh, yes. I want him out of the family. Aaron, don't put my arms up yet. Now. You know, you just wonder, that would be me, like vindictive Chet, right? No, but listen, as long as his hands were up, Joshua's winning. So let me tell you something. Joshua's learned from Moses. This spear is up in the air, and God is making Joshua dependent on him for the victory. Because let me tell you something. The key to following is, the key to following is dependence. No matter what he says to do, no matter where he says to go, no matter what he communicates in his word, I'm dependent to hear from him, and then I'm dependent on him to do what he's asked me to do. God has not asked us to turn the other cheek without giving us the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. He's not asked you to love your enemy if he didn't give the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the task. You see, following him, he's setting us up to be dependent. That's why the wisest man in the world would say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. This is Joshua holding up this spear in his hand going, this is not smart. But I remember Moses, and I've made the mistake in my failure of not listening to God, so I'm going to hold up this spear. Verse 19, Joshua chapter 8. So those in ambush 
arose quickly out of their place. So this rising up of his hand was some kind of signal to the guys that were waiting behind. If you remember, he had set an ambush on the backside of eyes. So those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. Hey, church, Joshua's got his hand up like this because he was trusting in God and depending on God to give him victory as they rose up out of failure. Now, just imagine if the guys in the ambush, they went like this. Okay, Joshua's hands up. I know, but... The way that you have victory is you march around I. You don't charge it. You don't burn it. We've done this before. <laughs> we did this seven days in a row. We know how to do victory, okay? All you do is you go and you march around I. I know what Joshua said, but we're not going to go and charge the city and burn it because that's not the way that God did it before. Do you know one of the greatest enemies to rising out of failure is tradition. It's not the way God did it before. You see, this is the way that God always does it because this is the way that he did it before. Really? Do you know why God didn't heal with spit every single time? Because I guarantee if he did, this would be called the first church of the Spitites. And every time we'd walk in, we'd spit on each other. That's gross. Do you know why sometimes he used mud and sometimes he touched and sometimes he didn't? Sometimes he just prayed. Sometimes he just said, go, your servant's healed. He did it differently every time because he knows we are creatures of habit. And if he didn't do it differently, and sometimes we walk into victory going, well, this is how I was victorious before, so this is how I'll be victorious again. What if God has a verse for you in numbers that you never thought was there, and all of a sudden you're having your devotions and he leads you a different direction to give you real victory, not the way that it was done before. And I wonder, church, I wonder, here at Calvary Chapel South Bay, are we willing to march into victory with the way that God directs us to, or do we have to do it the way that we've always done it before? Look at verse 20. The air condition keeps moving my Bible, so it's trying to, it's actually trying, the air condition is actually being moved by the Spirit to move me along quicker. <laughs> and when the men of I looked behind, we're going to learn a very important lesson from them. And when the men of I looked behind them, they saw and behold, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven. So they had no power to flee this way or that way. And the people who had fled to the wilderness, the Israelites, they turned back on the pursuers. They turned back on the people of I. In other words, they started charging. And we're going to learn a very important from, lesson from the people of I. They turned back and they looked and they focused on their failure. We made a mistake and they just stood there and looked at it. And while they're looking at their failure, while they're focused on their failure, the children of Israel turn around and start attacking them. Church... We cannot 
focus on failure. We're to follow Jesus and keep our eyes on him. The enemy wants us to look back and focus on failure. The enemy wants to remind us, well, you'll never change. You'll always be this way. There's nothing about you that has changed for years. You're just going to be like this. Well, this is who I am. I'm always going to be like this. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You've got your focus on the wrong thing. You've got to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you keep focusing on failure, you're going to get attacked from the back. Rise up out of failure. And the way that we do it, Joshua lets us know we follow his word. Number two, I want you to write it down. We got to fight. We got to fight against the flesh. Look at Joshua chapter 8. I'm going to pick it up now in verse 21. Now, when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on one side and some on the other side, and they struck them down so they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him to Joshua. Stop there, if you would, for just a minute. We got to fight. If you're going to rise up out of failure, there's a fight involved, and you've got to fight against your flesh. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, when Paul was talking to the church about spiritual war, he said this, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. Here's what Paul's saying. You got to fight and keep fighting. Because let me tell you something. This is called flesh. When I work all day and I don't go home and shower, I'm going to do it in King James English. It stinketh. (laughs) And my wife says, don't bring that stinketh thing to bed. Because there's something about this flesh. I will carry it with me the rest of my life. I can't get rid of it. And it's in a constant state of decay. From the moment I was born, it was constantly pleading, die. I can't get rid of flesh. And so my whole life, I am going to be in a battle. Now, sometimes the battle rages. Sometimes I'm sitting on the sideline. But I'm going to be in a battle because this flesh is with me. And what Joshua is going to teach us is how to fight. We got to go on the offense. We got to go on the offense. Offense. When Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down I. They weren't running anymore. They were actually now on the attack. They turned back. They stopped taking the hits and they started a strategy to succeed. And God was the one that gave that strategy. They set an ambush. And let me tell you what happened. They started running because God told them to run. And then Joshua held up the spear because God said, hold up the spear. And then God told them, when you see the spear go up, you run and attack the city. And when they see the smoke going up, they'll turn around and they will fight against the people of Ai. God gave the full strategy. And when they saw one victory, just one, 
Joshua turned around and started attacking. And all of a sudden, the people of Ai are surrounded. Let me tell you something. If you want to stop smoking, just stop for an hour. And when you make it an hour, that's a victory. And when you can make it the second hour, that's another victory, two hours of victory. And one victory will lead to the next victory, will lead to the next victory, will lead to the next victory, will lead to the next victory. You see, the Bible says we grow faith to faith. We grow glory to glory, one step at a time. And when God gives us a victory, stand in that victory, thank God for that victory, and move forward to the next step of victory. Because let me tell you something, our faith is the victory that overcomes. Our faith is the victory that overcomes. And we get our strategy in how to be victorious from the word of God. Let me give you an example. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our... Okay, great. I was wondering when you guys were going to join me, especially some of you former Roman Catholics. You should have like picked up on this right away. Okay, give us this day our... And forgive us our debts as we forgive our... He gives us a plan. The problem is we like bitterness. Bitterness... Oh, I don't drive down that street anymore. She lives there. And I don't go to that church anymore because he's there. And I used to sit on that side. (sighs) Bitterness is so ugly, isn't it? And you know what bitterness does? It destroys you. So what does God say to do? I have the perfect strategy. Forgive. So I want all of you to think of your enemy right now. Everyone, think of your enemy. Think of your enemy in your mind. If one came to your mind, God bless you. Think of your enemy right now. And what I want you to do in your mind is give them a big old spiritual hug. And I want you to say, thank you for being God's agent for me to learn forgiveness. Go ahead. Thank Jesus for it. You see, God has given us a strategy. We have the opportunity whether or not we're going to receive the strategy or not. We got to go on the offense. We got to be people of the word and then put the word into action, even if we don't feel like it, because our faith is the victory, not our feelings. Our faith is the victory. Look at verse 21. Look at verse 22. I'm sorry. Then the others came out of the city against them, so they were caught in the middle of Israel, some on one side, some on the other side. What a powerful story. Listen, if you're going to fight against the flesh, you need the body of Christ. All of Israel attacks, some on this side, some on this side. They're helping each other. Church, we've got to remember something. You are part of the church You are not the whole church. God has given us each other to hold up our our arms together so that when we fail, you don't walk into church and go, there's sister so-and-so. No, sister so-and-so, I'm so glad you're here. Let's pray together. I'm so thankful that you come back to church because I need to let you know something. We've all been redeemed 
That means we're sinners saved by grace. And I know there's some sin sniffers. Mm. I smell about 90% sin on you. Now, I'm only suffering with 30% today. We're the church. We're the redeemed. We need each other, especially when we fail. But you know what the church is famous for? You failed? <laughs> We're going to make you feel it. We want you to know you're a failure. Church, we need each other. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, don't neglect gathering yourselves together. And I feel for the people that are Christmas and Easter Christians. They're getting beat up by the world. I, I, I feel for Christians who only come to church once a month. I feel for them. They're getting beat up by the world for three to four weeks, and then they come in, and they look so bruised and battered, and they're like, well, okay, I've got my once-a-month fix. When the Bible says, don't neglect gathering together. We need each other. We need to gather. We need to come together. We need the body of Christ. Take a look at what he does in uh, Joshua chapter 8. verse. Um, pick it up now in verse 29. He says... Um, but the king, verse 23, but the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, verse 24, when they pursued them and when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back his hand, which he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Joshua was like a man. He's got his hand up like this, and he's fighting like this. He ain't putting this hand down for nothing. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took up booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, and raise it over a great heap of stones that remain to this day. Joshua was going to be obedient to the word because no one is supposed to hang on a tree Passed the sun down according to the law. You see, we got to fight. And if we're going to fight, you're going to see what Joshua does. We got to deal with the root of the problem. He gets the king of Ai and brings the king of Ai straight to Joshua. He does not let the king of Ai just die in the battle like a soldier. No, he's going to feel the sting of Joshua's sword probably over his neck. And if you're going to fight your battle, you've got to deal with the actual root of the problem. The root of the problem was the king of Ai. He hated the children of Israel, and Joshua's not going to be afraid of it. Joshua's going to deal with it. Gang, listen. If you're an angry person, let me tell you how you know you're an angry person. If your wife says, can you please take out the garbage? And you go, why are you always asking me to take out the garbage? 
You got the problem, not your wife. When you have a $1,000 response for a dollar question, you got to find out why. If you've quit smoking, and now you've realized you've gained a bunch of weight, how did that happen? Well, the addiction has not been settled. Let me explain. You see, we've got to make a decision in our heart. Do we want to be God-glorifying or self-satisfying? You see, if we're going to actually deal with the root of the problem, the root of the problem is do I want to satisfy myself and whatever my flesh craves for whatever it wants, I give it to it. Or do I want to be God-glorifying and exhibit something in my life that will honor God? You see, if I stop smoking, but I go to another addiction, there's a problem there. I just rescued a dear friend of mine who stopped drugs, but he started working out four hours a day. It's the same addiction. Church. Deal with the root of the problem. But then we learn something else from Joshua. If we're going to keep on fighting, we've got to keep fighting God's way. Did you notice? Joshua kept that spear up. I am not putting this spear down. And Joshua didn't stop fighting until the enemy was eliminated. Now, I know, I know that when I read 12,000 men and women were killed, some of you went, whoa. He killed the men and the women? I don't know if I like that in the book of Joshua. What's God thinking? Well, I need to let you know something. God is a righteous judge. And there is some righteous judgment that he was putting on the people of I that only he knows. Now, you may have a problem with that. I don't. Because the last thing I want God to do is expose my sin to you. How many of you want to have a little thing on your forehead that every time you walk in, I can read it? Now, I know some of you think I I can do this. And you know, as soon as you walk in, I can read your forehead. And I say to you, oh, so you got a fight in your wife on the way here. (laughs) How did that go? Oh, so you were looking at something on your phone that you shouldn't have been looking at. How many of you like a ticker over your forehead that says your sin that you struggled with that day? How many of you are thankful that God doesn't reveal your sin to the world and that he covers over you because of your love? The thing that we can trust is that God is a righteous judge and for whatever he judged them for, it was worthy of judgment. We need to take care of ourselves, not everybody else. You see, if our right eye causes us to sin, pluck it out. If our right hand causes us to sin, cut it off. Jesus is making it very clear. Worry about yourself and radically amputate sin from yourself. Keep fighting God's way. Now, the thing that's amazing about this is in verse 28, we, un- we understand that, um, excuse me, verse 27, that the livestock and the spoil were given to Joshua. He was rewarded. How many of you are reading the story now and go, man, I wish Achan would have waited just a day. Achan, if you just could have waited one city, 
You could have worn your Babylonian garment. I mean, can you imagine the Jewish people after I? They were sporting Babylonian Gucci. Like, they were walking around going, look what I got, okay, woohoo. They had gold, I mean, they had... They had some swagger going on, okay? I mean, they had the best Babylonian cologne. They had the Canaanite, like whatever it was, they were sport. And let me tell you something about Jewish people. They like to let you know, like, look what we got, okay? We, they were just walking around letting everybody know this is what it is. Man, Aiken. Joshua's rewarded for his faith because God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Achan, you lost everything because you didn't do it God's way. You stopped fighting. Now, some of you are struggling. Some of you are in the midst of failure even right now today. And you don't know the next step. Joshua gives us something that we need to do that he does. You see, when he took the body of the king down, the Bible says they cast it to the entrance of the gate of the city and they raised a great heap of stones that remains to this day right there in verse 29. And some of us, we need to put some stones up to safeguard us from returning back to our sin. We need to put something in the gate of that sin that we don't ever, we can't even get over the heap of stones that we have piled there. Maybe you need some accountability in your life. And so if you and your girlfriend are in the midst of a struggle and your purity is suffering, maybe you need to put the accountability of a curfew. Because let me tell you something, nothing good happens after 11. Don't even pray with her. Prayer is sexy. And there you are, and there she is, in Jesus' name. And the next thing you know at 11.30, you're locking lips. Go home. Take a shower. Call her on the phone on the way home. I love you in Jesus' name. I had to get out of there. Maybe you're watching things online or movies. Maybe you need to put some eyes on your screens with you that report what you're watching so that you've got some safeguards. Maybe you know the girl that you can call that, well, this will be a great time. Don't call her. Take her number out of your phone. There's no such thing as missionary dating. Church, set up some roadblocks and fight your fight. Finally, this is where we close. Joshua chapter 8, verse 30. It's our third point. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel as it's written in the book of the law of Moses. An altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool and they offered on it burnt offerings in the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Stop there if you would. Number three, I want you to write it down. Take time to be with God. Now, you would think the very next verse would read, and they were off to their next battle. And the battle hymn of the Republic is playing behind Joshua. He has this great victory, and he's off to the next victory. Not Joshua. He's rising out of failure. 
He takes time to be with God. He takes five million people on a spiritual retreat. Call it a couple's retreat. Call it a men's retreat. Call it a singles retreat. Call it whatever retreat. He takes five million people on a spiritual retreat, and he is going to recommit their faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he's following the principle of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And some of us will say, I just don't have time. I've got to wake up in the morning, and then I've got to get to work, and then I've got to drop the kids off and make their lunches, and I've got to do all this stuff. I just don't have time to seek the Lord first. One of the busiest, man's, one of the busiest men in the world is a man by the name of Daniel. He was running the known world. He was second in command to Nebuchadnezzar. A worldwide empire he was responsible for. And the only thing that his enemy had against him was he found time to pray three times a day. And I know we have the excuse, I'm too busy. It's not a matter of busyness. Because the average time that the American spends on social media is two hours a day. The amount of time that the average American watches television is two and a half hours a day. There's four and a half hours right there. It's not a measure and a manner of whether we have time. It's a measure and a manner of our priority. Now, I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anyone. I'm just communicating statistics. Joshua made a decision. I know we still have battles to fight, but I'm going to stop, and I'm taking time to be with God. And the very first thing he does is he builds an altar to worship. And if you're going to stop and be with God, you've got to stop and just worship. You've got to get in front of the Lord and just worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Take time to sing a song. Take time to read a psalm. Take time to give God worship. Build your altar right there. The next thing he did was he offered. And he couldn't just offer any old lamb as a burnt offering or a peace offering. No, he had to offer his best. And so what God is asking is give God your best. Don't give him your leftover. Don't give him I forgot. No, give God. If you're going to choose to spend time with God, give him the best of your day. Now, I, how many of us, how many of us, okay, let's be honest, we're church, we're all redeemed, sinners saved by grace. How many of us, this is our prayer life, it's 11 o'clock at night. Dear Lord Jesus, I just want to thank you for that. <laughs> then we wake up at about 11.30, and I also want to thank you for my wife. And Jesus, I just want to pray that you help me. <laughs> how many? Come on, we're all redeemed. You're going to leave me with my hand up by myself. <laughs> Calvary Chapel, South Bay, we got a lot of work to do. Now, I'm going to ask again, how many of you have fallen asleep in your prayer life before? Sinners. We often give God what's left over. But Joshua says, I'm giving my best. Let's finish this up. They offered that burnt offering, and there in the presence, verse 32, of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Bring your journal with you. When you get before God, 
bring your journal with you and write of the goodness of God. You see, the typical classic thing for a conquering king to do is to write his own victories on a stone. But Joshua doesn't write his victories. He writes God and the law of God. Take your journal with you and write down the victories that God has given you in your journal. And when you go and you look back and you see where God has brought you from, how many of you have grown this year? How many of you have grown in the last five years? If you look back and you read your journals of what you used to write, I'm embarrassed. Dear Lord, please let me marry this woman. She's the best woman in the world. Thank God I got Andrea. I'm embarrassed what I wrote. Thank God I grew up. Take a look as we just finish up this last little portion. We're going to pick it up there in verse 33. Then all Israel with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the strangers as well as he who born among them. Half of them were in front of Mount Gerizim, that was the Mount of Blessing, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, that was the Mount of Cursing, according to Deuteronomy. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that was Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read, before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. He read. You want to spend time with the Lord? It's time to have a conversation. This isn't a book. This is God talking to you. This is you having a conversation. His word is living and active. And Joshua read everything. Now, you know what's amazing about this? Moses just did this a few weeks before. Moses just went through all the law in the book of Deuteronomy. We're only eight chapters into Joshua. Just a few weeks before, Moses had already done this. Well, I'm not coming to Easter this year. They're going to talk about the cross. I know that one. (laughs) I'm going to skip Easter, going to have lunch with the family. Let me tell you something about the Word of God. Every time I read John 3.16, something fresh and wonderful pops out of that page. Every time I read Ephesians 2.89, for by grace you have been saved through faith, something pops out to me. You see, the Word of God is living and active. And no matter how many times we read it, even memorized and marinated it, he will always use it to speak to us. If you want to spend time with God, spend time in his word. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.